0: You are now entering the MXU podcast, no credentials required.
1: Well, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 72 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my good friends and co-hosts, Lee Fields, who's back. Thank you, Lee, for being back. We were struggling last week without you. And Jay Desai, the big dadu worldwide himself. How are we doing, boys? I'm doing great. Lee, you look
0: so refreshed.
1: Do I? I'm exhausted. <laughs> you look really tired. You texted me the night you got home and said the grand total for the week was 81.1 miles of hiking. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, it was a lot. But the pictures were gorgeous. It looked like you guys had a blast. I was really jealous at some of those views and just family time and all the stuff you guys were doing. But now you need a vacation from your vacation. I know. No kidding. I... Uh... We
2: did pretty good. I mean, my kids did all that, too. That's the crazy part. I have a 10-year-old daughter and 12-year-old boy, which those kids have got tons of energy. It's crazy. I mean, they they probably could have kept going. My wife definitely could have kept going, but it it was a lot. Some days were like 13 miles, and some days were like seven,
1: but it was a lot. I saw somebody, when I was looking up pictures of some of those places, I saw somebody posted a meme that basically said, for those of you complaining about your hike today, just know that my six-year-old did this while carrying a juice box and holding a Barbie. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yep. that's <Yeah>. pretty good. <laughs> good I talk. know.
2: Yeah, because I had a backpack with a, a three-liter bladder and yeah. you know some snacks and stuff in it. But Britain is 10 years old, and she's got two and a half liters on her back. And we did that Angel's Landing hike. It's, it's almost 2,000 feet of gain over two miles. I mean, it's... That's no
0: joke. She did awesome. I was tired looking at your Instagram.
1: Yeah. And I was texting you guys every day of stuff too. Yeah. Well, that's more gain than Jay has on his console. So (laughs) that's a lot of, that's a lot of gain. It is a lot of gain.
0: Don't, don't talk about my console out loud.
2: (laughs) It was a lot of fun. You know, you don't have cell service for most of that. So yeah. Yeah. We tried to get you you on the podcast last week. So we just did one without you, which by the way, you did a great job. Oh, thanks, Um, Dad yeah (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) um so it was nice being out there and just unplugging for a while we were gone 10 days that's awesome so it was a day to drive to vegas and we stayed at the cosmo that night like (laughs) everywhere else we stayed was like you know lodges and national parks and right you just get a hotel to sleep you're not trying to relax or stay anywhere fancy but we started at the cosmo so over, and I got a room, a high floor overlooking the Bellagio fountains and yeah, set the bar pretty high. Yeah. And <laughs> kids had never stayed anywhere like that. So that was cool. And then I uh, put the kids to bed actually. And I went out with Adam and uh, Brian from Central. We went to a uh, steakhouse at like 10 o'clock at night in Vegas. Of course, you did. That's what you have to do when you're in Vegas. Yeah. You needed all those carbs to walk them off the next few days. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I got home yesterday. We drove almost 11 hours yesterday to get back home. We drove through Area 51, which that was awesome.
1: Oh, that's cool.
2: Yeah. Well, you can't so really see it. You guys got to
1: work out, and your truck got to work out. Dude, my truck is filthy on the inside. <laughs> chicken nuggets and fries everywhere. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, it's chicken just,
0: nuggets sound so good right now.
2: Well, I've had my share of McDonald's chicken nuggets because that's about all you can find on the road is McDonald's in Nevada. So I like, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was timely that I was on a vacation and you guys did a podcast episode about recharging. Yeah. I listened to it this morning on the way up the hill and yeah, it was good. You guys even uh, read the Bible. (laughs) Well, Jeff, Jeff for sure. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we've gotten some good comments on it too. I think it's, It's always worth repeating, you know, how important it is to just sort of keep things locked into the right reasons we're doing things. And, you know, when we get to that point where we are redlining, you know, you just got to find a way to have a release valve. And, you know, for some guys, it's like Jay going for a walk or taking a vacation or, you know, just finding a way to unplug. Um, It just really makes a difference. But, you know, not getting your identity screwed up either is the bigger point and you know how even though we're in it for the church and love the church and are serving the church it is a job and everybody who has a job to do can get sideways sometimes and get burnt out so
0: just a good reminder i'm glad we did it yeah a couple people reached out and just said they um, felt understood or seen or appreciated and yeah. that it required them to think a little on what their next move is before they got to a detrimental place. So that's good.
1: Yeah. And another good friend of ours recommended a great book that I would recommend to anybody who's struggling with this. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, you can grab it on the ebooks for the Kindles or the Amazons for the hardcover book or whatever you choose to do. But it's a great read and digs deeper into these issues. So... We would definitely recommend that. Thanks, Casey, for that. He texted us that. Yeah. So we got to talk about the tour. We do. Tour. The tour.
2: We have a special announcement. We have a couple special announcements. Yes. And we have another warning. Uh, Charlotte, our stop in Charlotte at Elevation's Valentine Campus. Yes. uh, As of right now, has five tickets remaining and five after-party tickets. That's it. It might not last the weekend. It might not last through this recording. You never know. So if you're hearing
1: this, you better go check that out. If you're wanting to go to Charlotte, so that's, that's going out. But if you're in the Charlotte area and you can't make it to Charlotte because we do sell out, then make the drive down to Atlanta or Nashville, because those are going to be great days as well. Those three days are our last stops on the tour. And so Coming toward the end, we're going to have a lot of surprises and a lot of fun in store. And I'll be as
0: ridiculous as it can be by the end. Yeah,
1: Jay's going to be so <laughs> if, tired if by then. If you start
0: out of control, where do you go from there, you know? Exactly. Pri- yeah. Prison.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> and then we're going to run a special
2: for Los Angeles. Okay. Now. Yes. And total transparency here. So every city, the sales are going great. LA, you guys are a little slow, but also um, your governor that I am also supposed to say is my governor was also a little slow in uh, opening up the state. So we're associating slow ticket sales in California, especially Southern California
1: with everything else that's going on in Southern California, which is totally understandable. Yeah. So you guys basically didn't get opened up fully until after the early bird special was finished. It was gone. June 15th was when the state opened right and we ended at the end of may for the early bird so for those of you who are in california and didn't get to take advantage of the early bird because you were wondering if and when the event might even happen we're going to extend a little bit of a special offer for you so lee why don't you tell them what's up yeah
2: so it's similar saving structure but to motivate you to bring more of your team what we're going to do for los angeles is for the month of july Well, let's go now, when this podcast comes out, until the end of July. If you buy four tickets, you get one free.
1: Dang. Five for the price of four.
2: Yeah. So it's essentially a 25% savings, but you got to buy four tickets to take advantage of that. Do you guys
0: remember Arby's five for five? I do remember that. God, that was a great time on earth. (laughs) Five beef and cheddars for $5? Yeah. This is the exact same thing. Except you get four for five
2: yeah it's same five, thing. For f- five, five for five for four, four. yeah yes yeah, so i don't know but let's
0: make sure we get beef and cheddar soon yeah with the uh horseradish in the packet oh yeah that because that's good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> creamy
2: horseradish out of a
0: packet is not good
2: um arby's has the best fries with fast food joints
1: oh dude arby's is delicious curly fries man i love a good curly fry no, me too. And how about a Jamocha shake? Can we get a shout-out to Jamocha? <laughs>
0: That's Wendy's, I mean, right? No. That's Arby's. Arby's is Arby's is Jamocha. Wendy's is the Frosty. Oh, yeah. man. Dipping a fry in a Frosty. This podcast is now about fast food. We've talked about McDonald's, Arby's. Yeah, Jay's obviously hungry. <laughs> I, I had Taco Bell for lunch today, and it was delicious. Dude, Seth Thiessen texted me and said,
2: hey, just wanted to let you know that Domino's pan is, in fact, the best Uh
1: delivery pizza that's so. not true pizza hut <laughs> is the best <laughs> i will say though you guys got me going on the pizza hut salad bar uh, i was reminiscing for the rest of the day on the just merits of pizza hut salad bar
2: okay we were in bryce canyon in utah and we stayed okay. at ruby's best western inn is where we stayed oh of course you did and ruby's. there is a restaurant inside ruby's best western inn And it's called like – it's got some weird name like Steak Saloon and Buffet or something. But it had a salad bar with the exact same ingredients in that salad bar you'd find at a Pizza Hut and about the same quality. Uh, And I definitely – They sent a scout out 25 years ago probably. (laughs) And it was
1: awesome. You know what I always loved about that salad bar was I think that was the first time in my life I ever had chickpeas. (laughs) and i thought they were the greatest thing ever i'm indian i grew up eating i grew up with them in my milk bottle <laughs> yeah chickpeas bacon bits the really you know the fake bacon bits uh, yeah, but they're so like
0: good the super crunchy like bakos i know but when the bacon oh. bits collide with the the uh, n- new potato salad they had oh man uh,
2: <laughs> you guys are out of control <laughs> all can- right we got to talk we got to talk about other stuff oh another announcement about the tour yeah oh we have more details about this forthcoming that is that the right word forthcoming sure stay tuned Um, but all we can say is one of our manufacturer partners will be debuting a brand new product on the tour like Like a like a new 58 i i mean you just use your imagination it could be new casters on a stealth chair it could be it could be a new nl4 cable
1: it could be it's it's not just a a little product no I it's mean, a big this is and it's the basically the worldwide release debut exposure of said product yep to anyone in the
0: world of yep. the new bluetooth sm58 i get it i'm excited yes it's a uh, yeah bluetooth 58 S- still um, sounds better than the sc7 scv7
2: <laughs> yeah gosh I feel like I've forgotten about that thing yeah let's not go down that rabbit hole oh microphones um Steven Aruda from Micrentals.com texted me and said hey I'm gonna have a handful of the microphones that you picked for your uh, snare bottom replacement so I think I can tell people what it is now
1: I think you can
2: and I'm holding it here the one I I bought from him there it is um, so, this mic, I tried it on snare top and snare bottom, and it worked awesome for both. And
1: it's the Josephson C42. Here Great. it is. So, for those of you who were curious and you want to get your hands on one, reach out to Steven at micrentals.com. Use the discount code MXU15 for 15% off your order. Yep. And if you're talking to him about another rental, Just mention MXU15, and you can get some extra wireless mics for your VBS or a rack of stuff for your special outdoor concert you're doing this summer or whatever you might need. Microphone-wise, they are great guys and would love to help you out. So reach out to them and try out the Josephson mic on snare bottom. Does it come in any other colors? No, it's just silver. It's
2: tiny, which I like how small it is. There's another mic that I also really liked, and I think it's killer on overheads too, but it's pretty expensive. It's the, it was actually a Sony microphone. It's the ECM100U, but it's 900 bucks. So I didn't yeah. know that. You know, I didn't know any of the prices, any of the mics we were listening to, and it was fantastic. It's got that top end that the Mojaves had, but it's $900, just like the Mojaves, yeah. where the, the Josephson is. Uh, I
1: believe it's less than 500 bucks, or right around there. So, well, you know, and I will say, shout out to Sony. I mean, most people think of them more as a video company with cameras and such, but Sony makes great microphones. Yeah. So, if 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 you guys haven't heard what Sony has to offer in the way of mics, um, you need to check them out. God, what is that shout vocal mic
0: that cost a million dollars?
2: Uh, the eight,
0: C, eight something C eight hundred.
2: So it's got a uh, it's own
0: cooling unit on it. Yeah. Lee, um you're wrong. It does come in another color. The Josephson? It, uh, the matched pair are matte black chrome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. How much are they? Um it looks like the mic you're holding is in the 500 range. Yeah. That's just what I need on my
1: snare bottom. Is a matched pair of Joseph's. Oh, <laughs> I, I like stereo bottom snare.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and it looks like the one you're holding is about five hundred bucks.
2: Yeah, so this one, the C forty two, what you can do with it is use it with a fifty seven on the snare top, and you just line up the elements to have them in time and blend them together. It's pretty cool. It's now, I know what you're thinking. Two snare top mics and a snare bottom and a trigger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just, it's cool. So How about just get a different drummer that can tune his damn snare
0: drum? Yeah, that works too. That might be a good idea too. Yeah. Four mics or one new drummer? Real simple. Um, honestly, just torque it. Put it wherever you want. Yeah, I haven't used torque in a long time. I think I use it every Sunday.
2: Do you? On the snare top? Yeah. Yeah it's cool we're in
0: a season of cranking our snares too tight for some reason i don't know what jack wagon started that trend over where i am but i like it no man you still like them like down deep and low like i want the tubby but i want the jeff sandstrom top end
2: well it's hard to have it both ways chris tomlin said no one can do it but him so (laughs) man
0: and he's an he's got the anointing
2: (laughs) yeah how great is our (laughs) snare (laughs) (laughs) that's a good good snare drum right there (laughs) It is well, but we digress, yeah, we definitely digress,
0: yeah, sorry, I'm all over today. The taco bell's got me wild <laughs> That's
2: hilarious. Um, I was uh speaking of food and audio, uh sitting around fire pit last night at my house with uh Jake Cody and my buddy Tyler, and we're talking about wine and like the tasting notes, and have we
1: talked yeah. about on the podcast before what we do when we go out and we get a bottle of wine? I think we have, but it's, you know, what's worth remembering is worth repeating. So yeah. I think we should tell the good people again what we do. So, where this came from was Jake's
2: best friend, his best man in his wedding, a guy named Taylor, is a sommelier in San Francisco in the Napa area. And if you've seen the documentary Psalm, the restaurant that all of the, um, all the psalms in the in the movie work At. It's called RN74. It's a Michael Mina restaurant that focuses on wine. They win all kinds of awards for their wine list. Well, this guy Taylor was the wine buyer for Michael Mina, so he spent part of his time in Burgundy every year buying wine for Michael Mina. Just crazy job. Anyway, he's telling Jake this story of a... There's a lady in Napa that you can hire, and she will teach you how to taste wine. Okay, so it's like taking private lessons to play drums, or you can take private lessons to learn how to taste wine. So she's got a client, and he's an architect, and she's trying to teach him how to taste, and he's, he's struggling with all of the descriptors. Like, this tastes floral or fruit forward, or this tastes like a garden hose. Like, he's really struggling, and he gets frustrated, and he just says, ugh. I don't know, it tastes like a cathedral. That's what it tastes like to me. And she gets excited and she's like, Yes, go with that. Because that's <laughs> what he knew. He know he's yes. an architect. So Jake tells all of us this story at dinner one night. I think we were at the Bullen Bear in Orlando, actually. Yep. And right after Infocom one year. Yep. And he says, So let's do that with audio. So everybody takes a little a glass of wine, we take a drink, and then we start and you hear things like wow, that, that's definitely high passed up to 80. There's not a lot of low end in this. And then somebody says, yeah, it's almost it's got like a, a fast gate on it too. And then like a really quick release. And then somebody says, it, oh, the finish, the reverb, that's definitely a plate reverb, like a four-second reverb on the <laughs> tail. And everyone instantly gets it. So now, for years now, when we go to dinner and we have a, a bottle of wine, that's what we do. We have a little moment where we go, okay, wh- what's this like for everyone? It's super fun. It's really. People fun. walk
0: by the table and are probably like, "What?
2: <laughs> what a bunch of dorks!" Uh, probably. <laughs> so, all that to say, Jay,
0: your Taco Bell today. What was your order? Um, I had the grilled. Um, they don't make it anymore, so I have to manipulate them. I had a steak burrito,
2: grilled stuffed burrito steak. Yeah. Okay, so you have to describe a,
0: a bite of that. Well, there's going to yep. be a lot of bottom end here in about an hour. <laughs>
2: how about that (laughs) That that's good (laughs) that's good okay so our guest today this is exciting i'm we're gonna learn a lot i think all three of us um there's been a lot of announcements lately from apple about atmos and spatial audio and all kinds of stuff and this kind of goes with you know our talks about soundscape and immersive audio too i think they're connected but um if you listen to music on apple there's a playlist right now where you can go listen to zane lowe talk about this marvin gaye song and when you hit play with um apple airpods or or the airpod maxes plays this marvin gaye song in mono and then it plays it in stereo and then it plays it mixed in dolby atmos and you can listen to all three and then now there's a ton of songs on Apple Music that are mixed in
0: Atmos. Lee, our friend Crowder's album is done in Atmos. Just came out. Okay, I think it might be one of the first in the holy realm to have done
2: so. So I got loads of questions. I've listened to it a little bit, but uh, Jeff, you know someone who was the guest today that yes, that is. Uh, I was going to say knee deep. He's nose deep in this.
1: He is so. Webster Tilliston, who is um, a friend of mine from touring days, he was my system tech for most of 2019 when I was out with Lauren Daigle. He does a bunch of PA tech work for Spectrum Sound in Nashville, but then also in his other life is a studio guy who's been doing a ton of mixing in Atmos. And so he's built an Atmos room uh, in his studio and is here today to talk to us all about just workflow and technology and how it all works. And so we're really pleased today to have Webster with us. Well, Webster, welcome to the MXU podcast. Webster.
3: Hey, thanks for having me,
1: guys.
2: Okay, so Jeff and Webster go way back. So Webster, um, is Jeff
0: a good front of house engineer? Oh, gosh.
3: <laughs> wow, we're going to just start with that.
0: Does he <laughs> fart while he mixes in front of house and doesn't claim it?
3: uh i can neither confirm nor deny any of this thank you um no it's been uh yeah jeff and i go back we uh we had some time on daigle together um and uh it was a great time man uh as for jeff's mix it was a killer mix uh sounded awesome one of the easiest front of house guys that i've ever had a tech before i'll tell you that much um pretty laid-back gig okay
2: and, uh, is Corey edwards the
3: hardest <laughs> Um, well, you know, I did have to wipe his console down every night with, uh, like sanitizing wipes before he got (laughs) out there. So granted that was for some other reasons, uh, some medical reasons for him, but you know, uh, no, I would not say that. I will say, um, you know, every front of house guy is different and everyone needs a little bit of a different approach for how they want a tech to be involved. And, uh i i honestly it's funny i actually like the experiences with each guy differently you know there's something that i appreciate about working with every everybody and uh Corey and i have a really awesome relationship because it's a little more creative more than yeah. normal um i get to have a little bit more input even on the mix side of things with him um and have some conversations on that that i don't get to have with yeah. every engineer you know
0: um would you put out his bottle of lotion up front of house for him or would he do that in the green room and then come out with his fresh baby hands. He's got to have some extra moisturizer.
3: <laughs> Always. Uh, well, he did it in the green room, but I had some extra in the work box just in case he missed a <laughs> That's
1: great. <laughs> well, we've been talking to Webster for a while about also helping us with some video content for MXU Now about PA tuning and smart and some other things. So we're definitely in talks of getting those things happening too. But for today, we're not going to really focus on that. We're here to focus on Atmos um, and the music lately that's been released in Atmos and how Apple is really pushing it on their platform and other people are really starting to engage with it. So um, since you're kind of working with it all the time and have actually built a studio where you can mix in Atmos, just talk to us a minute about what the technology is, how much of the official standard you think it's going to be, and then just maybe some of your workflow and how it how it all comes together when you're trying to build a mix in this format.
3: Sure. Um, so Atmos is uh, very new to the music industry as a whole. Um, I would say that it's very in the very early stages of early adoption. Um, and while it's new to the music industry, it's been around in the film industry for uh, probably seven to 10 years now. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, Atmos is really exciting. Um, and it's very similar to like typical surround sound setups um, that people are used to of 5.1 and 7.1. Um, but it is a pretty major extension off of that. Um, so now with Atmos, you have, instead of just a 2D plane to, to mix with, you now have a three-dimensional plane. Uh, so there are overhead speakers that are added to that. Um, when you are getting into uh, kind of the why and the things that make me excited about the format, um, the biggest thing that got me involved in it uh, and made me care about it was when I learned about how scalable it was. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking from the standpoint of the ability for me to be in my studio that is very well calibrated and specifically tuned with a uh, what is considered a 7.1.4 mix uh, and monitoring layout Um, and that layout is seven speakers around me at ear height um, and then another four overhead uh, that are pointed back at my head um, as overhead speakers and then an LFE or low frequency effects channel Um, but the idea that I can mix in that space and have a single deliverable file that I can give to uh, a label, an artist, a manager, uh, whoever it may be and that can then be distributed and be played back on uh, any format, uh, at least as long as there is a decoder in line, which would be able to be played back at uh, on headphones using a binaural decoder, um, a stereo set of speakers, uh, anything like 5.1, 7.1, all the way up to a 64-channel loudspeaker surround setup. Um, and that's really exciting to think that there's a way that you can essentially have one mix process that can uh, scale to any of those and translate. Um, kind of unheard of anywhere else. Um, so that's the thing that got me involved. The, uh, prior to knowing that when I first heard it, I remember the first time I ever heard it, uh, there wasn't really any explanation. Nobody really told me anything about it. I just heard it. And I remember walking out of the studio being like, this is the stupidest yeah. thing I've ever seen. No, no consumer will ever hear this. No consumer will ever care to spend the money on it. And even if they do, they'll set it up wrong. Um, So that was my initial reaction. Um, It really wasn't until I understood the ramifications of the binaural render being able to kind of realize this three-dimensional space on headphones where I was like, all right, now we can get it into the hands of the general consumer and there's something behind this. Um, So to touch on that really quickly and why that's important, the binaural render is very different from the stereo stereo. Fold down of, of a mix that I work in, um, or a gener- generic stereo mix that any of us have, are used to working in. Um, a binaural render is actually taking all the different elements that I have, or a mixer in Atmos, has placed in three dimensional space. Um, and it is using the science and physics of how sound interacts with our heads um, and our bodies when it approaches from different directions. So when a person is walking behind you, you can tell that someone's coming up from behind you because of how the way that 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 sound is either being masked by your head, wrapping around your head, reflecting off of surfaces around you, things like that. Um, So the way that they are creating, recreating this on headphones is by using what they call head-related transfer functions. Um, And they're able to essentially take on per-channel basis, a per-channel basis, kind of look at it and be like, okay, cool, this is where this is supposed to be approaching from. This is how it would be the sound would be changed based on the fact that it's coming from behind somebody's head. Um, and that's applying different phase shifts, delays, EQs and things such as that to kind of mimic that. And the cool thing with that too is, and, and a very important thing to know with that is that that technology is still getting better. It's not completely there. And that's a big thing to point out, especially in the, the Apple Music rollout.
2: You just answered a ton of questions I had. So uh, this morning actually, Uh, Spencer in our office has a pair of, uh, AirPod headphone maxes, whatever they're called. (laughs) I don't know what they call those things. Yeah. 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 So I listened to the new playlist that, you know, Zane Lowe Mm -hmm. talking about the Marvin Gaye song and it plays it in mono and plays in stereo then plays it in Atmos. And then there's some other songs in there. Um, blinding lights is in it. So I go and play blinding lights and I'm like, okay. And then I tried to go find, that song not in Atmos on Apple Music and that was very hard to find and actually went to the music video to hear it to try and listen back and forth (laughs) and listen to a few other things and some songs it sounds like oh I hear the difference some it sounds like Mm -hmm. wow the mix got worse and some it's like (laughs) oh wow that vocal is very clear now so the experience I think is all Um, over the place it's you don't get the same upgrade every time right now so when you say, like, yeah, it's still getting better, I can tell people are also going to be getting better at mixing it,
1: too, it feels like. Well, and I think I've, I felt that way back when 51 first came out. It was like when mix engineers were choosing what was going to be in the surrounds, it was almost like, gosh, if there was anything that was too percussive or too time-based, it almost felt disorienting because you were trying to localize to this weird stuff coming from behind you. You know it it seemed like it worked great when it was you know effects and you know maybe uh ambience or reverb kind of stuff but any information that was just not that felt distracting and I don't know if that was just because we weren't used to it yet or if it just felt gimmicky or what so I'd love to get your thoughts on that like as a mixer how are you deciding what goes in the particularly the above speakers and, yeah. and the around stuff, is that mostly effects for you? Or are you trying to find elements in the song that just kind of work that way?
3: Um, yeah, there's a lot to, to cover with yeah. both of those questions. So I'll, I'll start with, uh, with Lee and then move on to what, what you were touching on, Jeff. Um, so as far as the, the Apple Music rollout goes, um, that uh, was a very exciting announcement a month and a half, two and a half months ago, when they were like, "This is going to happen," um, it was something that I kind of thought was going to happen, but wasn't sure about it. So when they made the announcement that it was on the horizon, I was super excited. Um, I can tell you the the day that it released, and I had my AirPods Pro uh, and pulled it up. The my my excitement quickly went to just sheer horror. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I literally went from being like so excited about about it to just being like oh my god this could be this could be it this could be the end like <laughs> all of the investment and in time that i just put into all of this like that it will <laughs> never catch on because um, it was so bad like your experience yeah yeah oh yeah i mean all and and it was beyond that it was just like it sparked this huge just outrage and debate across the audio community community like the amount of time and forum posts that i've been doing on gears gearspace to like talk through this and stuff like that it, it's insane um and just the amount of the amount of opinion that has arisen out of it of uh of people being like it's horrible or like how could artists let this happen or like why are mixers there's like mixers suck or yeah. whatever all these different things and it's like they're kind of just speaking from like just their their immediate reaction without really fully understanding it. And um, one of the biggest things uh, that we, we came to find out was that essentially when I'm in, in the studio and I'm creating, there are tool sets that are created by Dolby that I'm utilizing to make a mix in this file format. Um, they call it a Dolby Atmos renderer, and it's a separate piece of software that's handling basically all of the encoding and decoding in real time with the, the metadata and things like that but what's really important with that too is there are a lot of settings under the hood and one of those settings is what they'll call their binaural metadata and that is a sit- a place where i can go in and on a per channel basis because a dolby atmos session can uh, or not session a dolby atmos like deliverable file can be up to 128 channels of of information so wow. on a on a per channel basis i can go in and tell each channel whether i want it to have any binaural processing when it goes to a binaural mix, whether i it wants it to be, and then I could put it to either near what they call near mid or far, and that when you think of when we think of near mid and far, think more about like the emphasis of like how much they're how much processing they're going to try to put on it to trick your brain into thinking where it is um, and those those metadata settings are integral to a good experience on headphones. Uh if you have a vocal that's your lead vocal and you set the binaural metadata for that vocal to be out of mid at somewhere like a mid or a far, it literally sounds worse than a Les Paul bathroom for like from early recording days. It sounds horrible. Um so there are conventions of like if you have something that's like a lead vocal or something that needs to be more defined or Low-end elements and stuff like that typically leave them to off or near. So what was fascinating is when we got to the Apple release, one of the things that we consistently found was, okay, cool. All the impact is lost right away. Like just right off the bat compared to a stereo mix, there's so much impact yep. missing. And then uh, the vocal gets pushed back and buried. Sometimes the background vocals get screaming loud on the sides. Um and it was varying from mix to mix. But what we came to find out was that Apple essentially, uh, and this is all what we've kind of put together and are still learning, but Apple essentially decided not to use Dolby's decoding algorithm for the binaural render. So all of that binaural metadata that us as engineers had put in to, perf- to make sure that it would translate well on headphones got thrown wow. out the window. Mm. And instead, what they decided to do was utilize their own binaural algorithm, and they do this by basically taking our mix, decoding it to a channel-based format like 5.1.4 or 7.1.4. I'm not sure on what spec they're using, but imagine that they're decoding it to a channel-based layout and then realizing it as if there were speakers around your head. So instead of it being on like a per channel, maybe up to 128 channel basis of binaural metadata, they're now trying to basically fake a studio around your head to give you the essence of what we've created, which in the past week and a half, that algorithm has changed from what it was in the first day, few days of it being up and it's gotten better. Is it quite there yet and dialed? I don't know, but. The exciting part about it for me is that if the engineers are taking the time to make sure that it's translating correctly on systems, that it's being encoded well, taking the time on the binaural, that in theory, over time, the binaural rendering, whether that's Apple's or Dolby's or whoever's, should just continually get better and make that mix translate better and be cooler and cooler on headphones over time. Hopefully, it happens faster or sooner than Okay.
0: Do you see any level of standardization coming?
3: Um, yes and no. Uh, the Apple, the Apple situation was fascinating. We had some conversations with uh, some other people we know that are working in it. Um, and I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was fast. The conversation went really quickly and got really crazy. Like, I mean, there were people like, like high A level engineers that were like outraged by it that were like, at the At the level of which having being able to have those conversations with labels and and Apple and things like that directly, um, and I think outside of even just the binaural side of things, um as we go forward, there are more and more conventions that are emerging and becoming a better practice. Um, I've been getting even literally in the past week and a half, so even though even with the scare of apple the Apple music launch and it not being great it did at least, I guess, get a lot of people really excited and interested in it. So I now have a couple label projects on my desk right now that I'm working through. Um, And there are some specification, depending on different labels, some of them have some specifications that they put together um, of like best practices for deliverables, for working through as a mixer and how to kind of avoid some different problems um, and things like that. Um, And a lot of this stuff is things that we've kind of put together my business partner and I have kind of put together over the past year and a half working in the format. Um, so none of it's really a surprise, but it's at least finally getting to the point where there's dialogue about it and there's the ability to talk with people that are doing this and have a little bit more of an understanding and, and think tank around it than there was before.
1: It's interesting to me that Dolby wouldn't have instituted or mandated standard practice.
3: Yeah, um, the, the binaural side of things, um, and, and especially with how it went with Apple, I, I don't know how any of that came to be. I mean, uh, I can only speculate. And I mean, when you have a, uh, <coughs> is Apple a trillion-dollar company now? Uh, I mean, Dolby's big, but they're not trillion-dollar, <laughs> you know? Um, so I that's think that's, that's probably a big part of it. Um, on the flip side of that, though, the Dolby guys are, are amazing. Um, they have been a wealth of knowledge for even me and my business partner who haven't been doing, uh, label work up until now, um, that have just been doing independent stuff. Um, they have, uh, I mean, they've provided us with all sorts of specifications that they've been building with different labels that are, that are cranking out mixes, um, and getting stuff together. Um, and they really, they really just want to see the format succeed. So, um, they're doing the best they can at, uh, at getting kind of, I guess, a, uh, a community of people that are, are working in the format and getting as many studios and people on board with it to, to get it forward, um, and make it, as the best thing that it can be. That's very cool.
2: Okay. So how does it work? Like, so let's say, um, Serban is mixing the latest Billie Eilish record and he gets done. And then do you get
3: stems? Okay, so and I'll transition into that question that uh, Jeff asked okay. from this too. So, uh, Serban's a great example because uh, I have actually been talking to his business partner John Haynes, who does all of his Atmos mixes. Okay, perfect. Um, so Serban does the stereo. Serban does a stereo mix like he always has, as far as I know. Um, a lot of this is speculative because I haven't gotten to this this conversation with John yet, but. Um, based off of listening to the Atmos mixes that we have heard come from John and Serban. Um, we do know that John's do, like, we know that John is the one that's doing the, the Atmos mixes. We just don't know if he's doing them from scratch or from stems. My assumption based off of what we've heard and then actually doing a fold down and pushing it down to stereo from the Atmos mix is that it's from stems. Um, I mean, we all know that Serban is like the top of the crop when it comes to so it comes to the pop right. mixing like he's just he's cracked the code he's got it down
2: did he do the blinding lights mix is that him
3: i don't know that he did the blinding lights the atmos mix um i can't remember i don't know exactly when they started doing the up mixes i do know that the most recent nick jonas album and the julia michaels album were both done by him okay. and john um but the the crazy thing and the re, one of the biggest reasons that i think the the thing was done from a stereo mix initially is from being able to listen to some of that in my studio on the full rig and and listen to what's coming through some different channels um it just seems uh very like very well done and then especially like they've also cracked the code on atmos because when you fold it down it is i mean not like 100% but I'll give it a solid 99% the exact same mix that the stereo is which is that is insane insane. and that was Uh, like
2: when I listened to that Marvin Gaye song this morning as soon as it goes into Atmos I'm like my god turn those hand drums down they got way too loud
3: yeah Um, and and part of that can be the decoding process part of that could be the mix process too I mean there are plenty of things that we have listened to in our space that were commercial releases and like when we first got that, uh, the ability to do that, we were started going through things and listening to them, and there were, were some that we listened to that we were like, "This is incredible! Yeah. Like nothing compares to how this to this from anything we've heard before." Then there were other ones that we heard were like, "You should have just left that yeah. on the shelf because that is not supposed to be either." Like either a, it doesn't work in Atmos, or b, it just didn't do it well. Um, so there's things times when it works and it doesn't work, you know. Um, As far as workflow goes, though, you can mix from scratch. You can start from just straight after editing and after overdubs and everything, and go straight to Atmos um, and mix from there. And that's actually how I have been doing most of the like independent work that I get. um, Is I just mix in Atmos and then I use the renderer to uh, to decode a stereo version. I hand that to the mastering engineer, and then that's the stereo version. Um, there's no requirement to do it that way. Um, and right now, if you are uh, an artist or a label or, or anyone that's trying to distribute Atmos uh, mixes, you're required to upload a stereo mix and an ap- and the Atmos file. Um, even though the Atmos file can technically be decoded directly to stereo, they still want a a, a real stereo file, which makes sense. Not every person in the world has a device that can decode to atmos or decode atmos out of something so um that's to my mind like a uh, kind of just a retroactive thing to be able to allow everybody to consume music the way they always have um and quite honestly like i think that eventually there's a point eventually where it could end up moving where like there's the the norm is mixing in atmos you know where it's like everybody's mixing in it and then like a stereo re-render will come out of it but with that said like the timeline on that to me is nowhere near anytime soon so like i there's a lot of people that are are in the the world that are like oh my gosh like they're getting scared that like stereo is going to just disappear and it's like no like it's not going to it's not going anywhere it is the most primary way that everybody listens to music in the world like we can't it can't just disappear overnight like it's gonna be like five to ten years before it's a point where it's like it just doesn't exist anymore, and even that is a stretch i think um so it's what's really interesting though is that that fold down that stereo fold down if i do uh if I do a mix in atmos from scratch is actually very accurate um it works really well uh i I have had extremely consistent results that I'll do that and hand it to the, the mastering guy and, or the artist, and they'll be happy with it. Um, I'm actually <laughs> working with an artist right now that doesn't know that I'm mixing his tracks in Atmos.
1: And, and is that automatic? Like, does it just fold it down and it is what it is? Or are you deciding, like, what's going where while, while you're doing it? Like, are you back and forth trying to make different choices? Or is it just, it takes the Atmos and folds it down into a stereo and it's like, okay, a card lays a card played
3: it's uh automatic to the for the most part um like it's an automatic process but i can monitor it in real time if that makes any sense so in my studio i'm able to i for the most part live live in a 714 playback mode where i'm hearing the whole rig but i will relatively normally flip to stereo and for me with the way that Dolby's tool sets work, I can hit a single button while in their program and it just flips it to stereo. Um, and that would be what the stereo output would be, which is super cool. Um, I can also have the binaural version running in real time where I can just grab a pair of headphones and listen. To and it.
2: then uh, I guess in mono also, you'd want to check that too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Technically all the way down to mono as well. Um, very uh, cool. pe- it it's very, peasant class
0: audio, you know, mono. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: yeah to touch on what you were asking earlier, Jeff, in terms of kind of placement and things like that, uh, it gets real fascinating. Um, the The first stuff that I worked on, um, man, I remember I was, this is like when I was in this small little bedroom studio and figuring out uh, kind of what I was doing. I mean, it was hodgepodge. I had, I had bought the software to be able to do it. I had like three different types of speakers in the room to try to like just experiment because I was like, I'm not about to drop this type of money on something that I don't know even how to work in. Um, but man, uh, when I think about that mix, the so a couple of those mixes that I did just messing around, it was, I compare it to a Pollock painting, like just throwing paint yeah. at the walls. <laughs> it's just like, okay, cool. Like I can put anything anywhere. Let's go, you know, and uh, Doesn't cool mean as- that I
1: should but I can't
3: exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It eventually got to this thing that, uh, upon the more that you worked in it, the more you were like, okay, cool. Like that's awesome that you have this ability, but, uh, it's distracting, you know, there you, to an extent you don't really, it's not bringing, drawing the person into the experience or into the, the mix. It's making it so they don't know where to look. And they're kind of just like jumping their, their eyes around trying to figure out where to, where to position themselves or where to pay attention to. Um, so, with that said, a lot of the convention for me has has come back to understanding how we consume music and how we always have. You know, we've always consumed it via stereo, and that has always been on either your ears or with two speakers in front of you. Um, and then let's take out that version of it. We've always experienced. If we go even farther back, we've always experienced live music with a band in front of us. You're not. Facing away from the stage you know it just doesn't you're not looking off to the right the whole time there's there's no reason for that to be that way um so a lot of the conventions that i've started started to put in is that for the most part especially organic music um and pop music gets a little bit of a pass on this in some ways but uh organic music to me is always going to stay in the forefront of the the sound field um pretty much all the elements there's i'm not really going any farther past where my head is if if we're thinking about a circle like i might get a little bit more width and i can kind of play with that a little bit and maybe even play with some height and get some cool stuff out of that but for for the majority of the elements i'm sticking to pretty much in front of me and then i have tools um like reverbs, now we have we have what we call immersive reverbs, and that reverb functions on the, the channel level of what I'm, I'm monitoring at. So imagine that instead of just this stereo reverb that's trying to fake this this depth of space um, on on honestly, a one-dimensional plane, I mean left and right is a one-dimensional plane, you're able to create this three-dimensional sense out of it, but that's really all it is. Now that you're able to utilize a fully three-dimensional space and have have reverb coming from it, it literally can f- make you feel like you're sitting in a room um, because there's just, you're actually yeah. getting what that convolution would have been coming off of the back wall of the theater. You're actually sitting in, watching a show happen or, or yeah. any number of things, you know?
1: And to me, that's where the binaural thing really makes sense because that's yeah. how we hear naturally in the world. Yeah, You know, like you said earlier, we hear in stereo with two ears, but we have a sense of 3D space because of the way our brain perceives what's behind us and around us. So yeah. in that regard, I think that's where it gets really exciting for me is to be able to put people inside a space as if they're hearing this band in the room that they're playing. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that the tenor sax is coming from behind me, but yeah. that the tenor sax who's on stage is reflecting off the walls around me in a really yes. pleasing way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll say a couple things with that too. Like one of the, one of the projects I started working on, uh, probably a couple of months ago now I was doing a uh, a bluegrass album and I was like oh cool like this is like seven tracks maybe it, maybe it would be cool for me to me, me to mix it like I'm the microphone like it's a raw like they're on the stage and they're all leaning in and coming out when they're they're needing to be louder and I started doing it and I was like nope like this doesn't work like it's a cool idea but but it doesn't really function and then as I've thought about it more I was like you know this would function if you had a virtual reality headset where you could turn and see them but without it you're just looking at blank space and you don't know where to turn and it doesn't it doesn't track with what's happening it just doesn't make any sense um then uh another thing that i found that was like just re- i mean mind-blowing um for me was i f- was messing around with some old tracks and i had uh done some recordings at this major studio here in town called the uh, the tracking room and they have i mean this studio is, is massive. The size of one of their ISO rooms is bigger than what most tracking rooms are at a, a normal studio. So they have one of their ISO rooms there that has a really amazing grand piano and B3. Um, and I found this uh, recording I did with had a piano, stereo mic and then I also had a pair of stereo mics way up in the air in the room, capturing the room sound. The whole room is wooden, but none of the r- walls are parallel. So it has a really amazing tone to it. Um, and with Atmos, you also have uh, what they call upmix plugins. So think of the same idea of like what a stereo widener is, but kind of on steroids to be able to push it around to different speakers. Um, so I took the stereo room mics and put it through that, uh, and did a li- like really you don't even have to do tweaking to do it. But if you tweak it a little bit, the second that I did that, I literally lost my mind because it felt like I was standing in the room next to the player while he was playing. And I was just, I literally was like, I don't understand how it's possible for this to exist in, like in real life that I actually, that this, first off this worked. And then second off that it can be a thing at all. It just, it blew my mind. Um, And that's an exciting thing. You know, Uh, it's, it's something that I hope that people don't write it off too quickly uh, that, that because of the technology kind of catching up and the algorithms getting better. um, I hope that they just continue to kind of give it a chance because it is super exciting. Um, And I think the binaural stuff will keep getting better. And if you ever have a chance to hear it in in person, especially if you're a music lover of some sort or, uh, or an engineer or, or or a a player uh, every single person I've had over that is anywhere into like remotely into music is just immediately like, how do you listen to stereo anymore, man? Yeah. I don't know, I, I don't know how like what in the world just happened. That's <laughs> all. Now we're going to Now really we're going to cool. have to
0: remix all the Beatles albums. <laughs> it's already done. Oh, really?
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that all of them are redone in, wow. in this already. Wow, interesting. Okay. Um yeah. Webster,
0: you being a live guy as well. Mm-hmm. How do you I mean, obviously the spatial stuff is like everyone's thing right now. Every you know from clang to Yeah soundscape to lisa, to, lisa to, to all
3: space map yeah
0: how do you see having some level of standardization across the whole thing because it's, it's literally it's endless like the possibilities right like you said we've sure. been living in this faux 1d feels like 3d with with processing you know and now mm. literally we're using all the dimensions
3: Sure. Um I think I read about
0: this in Revelations, by the way.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The I mean, that's a hard question. I I don't know if there's a way to really uh consolidate it um down to um like or, or get it to a standardized thing across the board. Um that would be great, but I feel like between live and studio, that could be pretty challenging. Um not out of the question. There are clubs that exist that are dolby atmos enabled and can can do that for a live setting but uh the flip side of that that i i personally i would never want to be the one that's actually having to perform in atmos i guess as it were like i can there's a lot going on and trying to control that panning in real time is super challenging um at least if it was like real time and I can't go back and make changes, I just, I feel like that would be, and there's like, I feel like I just don't have enough hands to accomplish all the different things I'd want to be having, having happen, um, which I honestly kind of feel the same way about the live side of things, um, is, is something like that too, of like, I don't know how, if you're going to have a dynamic show, especially one that's not time coded, how you even begin to accomplish something that has moving yeah. elements, um, as far as standardization within the two uh like within just the studio realm or within just the live realm um i feel like atmos is pretty much taking the hold now um there are other formats that exist in the in the the recorded music realm like sony 360 reality audio um ro 3d dtsx uh ambisonic has been around forever um all of all of them exist and do similar things pretty much the same honestly but dolby has done just such a good job of partnering with the right people streamlining the product making sure that the engineers have the tools that they need to work in it and uh that it's simple to use that i think they kind of cornered it um and it seems like they're probably going to take it uh to me i equate it to like the blu-ray versus hd dvd kind of fight yeah
2: um
3: as far as live sound goes that man (sighs) i i did a soundscape install last year and that was the first time that i really got my hands on an immersive rig and i i would say prior to that experience i would have been like this is cool i would never want to be i would never want to be a fly tech on one of these gigs or like on the crew because it would just take forever you know like there's so many you're flying so much more pa yes, it's smaller boxes, but you're doing more hangs. It's, it's a lot of logistics, you know? Um, what I will say is that on an install side, I, I had my mind blown by the soundscape rig at this church that we did the install at. Uh, I thought it was overkill. Like I I am as much as I love when I walk into a church and they have all the toys, there's a big part of me that is like, is this really the best like way to steward your money? And if it is, great, that's good. But there are times when that's what goes—that's yeah. the thought process that goes through my mind. And so when I heard that a church was putting in a soundscape rig, I was like, "Yeah, really? Like this is <laughs> this is it? Okay." Um, however, it was a sanctuary that was very horseshoe sized, like think uh, think like a hundred and sixty degree horseshoe, really wide. The yeah. type of place that makes all of us cringe as front of house guys and uh, uh, SEs because it's either going to be an LCR rig that just is not right or you're going to have a left and right hang with side hangs that are reflecting off the sidewalls like crazy Um, and beyond that you're probably not going to really get a great stereo image everywhere you'll get it great in the middle and everywhere else it'll be horrible Um, the soundscape rig there was stunning Uh, I could be on the far left or the far right side and i would get a sense of stereo image from the entire rig and that was a moment where i was like okay in this situation this makes sense you're creating a consistent experience for everyone there that you could not do any other way and that is just how it goes like i've done enough pa deployments to know that i have there's no way that i could do that as consistently as that rig did um now as far as like immersive stuff for like live shows like traveling and like something like a Lisa rig or or space map or any of that they're all different and they all have their things i would say that lisa is pretty darn close to atmos in the way that it kind of functions um soundscape is a little different because it works a lot more on like trying to delay individual s- sources back to where they actually are on a physical in a physical yeah. space um so like the idea is that like if you have a guitar that's panned off to the right uh or like that's on stage off to the right that you are like telling the system where that guy is on stage and then that signal is then delayed equally to each sound speaker stack to make it give it that essence of coming directly from yep. that person um so that's how they're accomplishing it whereas lisa is a little bit more like okay, cool, you've got a circle, pan it wherever you want it to go. Like, we don't really yeah. care. And spread it if you want to. Um, so it's two very drastically different approaches to how you're going to go about doing it. And uh, for that reason, I don't know if the standardization thing can really <laughs> happen. Um, I do know with space map, from what I've been told, it's actually open format. So, like, you can use their processor and output it to NEPA. So if you want to do it in immersive you can carry that and then use whatever back end you want um lisa i don't think you can do that and um so yeah I, I guess that's my very long explanation to your answer that uh makes sense i mean i it would be cool but i don't know if that would quite fly yeah. I,
0: i'm one of those people <laughs> that's not 100 in on the special thing right now because it feels like everything is different it's just a different stab different approach all across the board i know when a mix engineer hands a record out i can get as close as i can at home listen to it in in a left and right scenario whether on headphones cans or or some level of speakers you know so
3: sure absolutely and i think that's another thing too like one of the biggest things that my partner and i have been working through is is uh basically qc and reference deliverables for clients um how does a client listen to something on their own if they don't have this rig and if they don't if it's not already on apple music and able to go through there um and quite not that was something that we've we've been working on for a while because initially when we first started i mean last year the the reply when we were talking to some other guys that have been doing label stuff we were like hey so like how are people qc and referencing this before you release it and one of the, the main response was like they don't we put it up you know wow like, and which is crazy um but at the same time like at, the time, at that early on in the stage, there really wasn't a way to do it. Now it's at the point where when I send a file off, I'm sending people uh, a stereo re-render so they can listen to what that stereo fold-down is like, and that can be played on anything. They can just It's a normal stereo file. Um, I also send them a binaural render. So that's the same thing, just a stereo file, but, you, but it already has the uh, binaural processing on it, so you just put it on headphones and listen to it. Um, and then uh, an MP4 file, which is uh, just a container that's able to hold Dolby's, uh, their, what they call Dolby Digital Plus codec. And if you put that on an iPhone uh, with uh, AirPods Pro or AirPods Max, it's able to decode it and let you take a listen to it using their algorithms. That's interesting. So there's ways to do it now. Um, and if that same file, that same MP4 file, you can actually plug into a Dolby Atmos-enabled device like a soundbar dvd player receiver and as long as it can play back mp4 files it'll decode it to whatever format you have that's great interesting
1: well one thing that i hope from all of this is that it brings back some of the sort of joy of listening to music i think yeah you know i'm old enough to remember bringing home an album having to sit down and actually you know take the time to sit in front of speakers and play it usually in its entirety to really enjoy the whole experience and that that got lost to me in a lot of ways, you know, from the Walkman forward, it's like, there's this convenience of an iPod or, you know, listening on your phone. That's great while you're exercising and all that. But, you know, to be drawn back into this sort of experience of listening, I can't wait to see where people take this Yeah, because it, um, you know, it might make the intentionality come back a little bit, which I think is, is a good thing.
3: Absolutely, and I think I think you're right on on point with that. Uh, I mean, really, almost like I said, everybody that I've had over that's come and listen to this that didn't know what it was has kind of freaked out, and everybody almost consistently has like a goose bump moment of like all of a sudden, like it's just it hits them, and they're like, oh, like I, I, I've never heard music this way, and like it, it's so cool that it's worth finding a way to hear it this i would way, love like to
0: hear some big um orchestral pieces or big choral pieces yep. in in this man frame. it is
3: incredible there's uh there are several things that i've listened to that are like like super classical things to like film scores like the star wars like uh film scores and hearing that on it especially so because with atmos at least in its current form has a very different uh, level requirement than stereo does okay which is also something to touch on with the streaming with apple um, if you have sound check off on your phone you will consistently find that the atmos mixes are a lot quieter than what the commercial releases are um, a stereo commercial release is going to be at least of like a pop tune is going to be in like the negative seven to eight luffs region for the whole track uh, the requirement for me as a mix guy that's doing Dolby Atmos is negative 18. Wow. So, and the, uh, the true peak value is supposed to be around negative one. So it's way more dynamic. Um, one of the big reasons for that is to allow for when fold down happens that it doesn't start having to get into crazy limiting and compression schemes. Yeah. Um, the other reason for it that they came up with was that when you do a fold down, um, from a full Atmos mix, that's running at negative 18, it normally ends up landing at about negative 14. Which is the streaming service standard right now yeah um so that was it was thought out and there's a reason and intentionality behind it but that's also a really cool thing with all the symphonic stuff of like when you're put in a position like that and you're listening on a full rig the dynamics I mean it feels like you're in a concert hall like it'll go from being like whisper quiet to like and just hearing like the stage noise to hearing like a very quiet violin to just slam in like orchestral percussive things and just at, like almost to the point where you're like, I almost need to control the volume in between these hits. you know, it, very it's cool. great.
1: Bring the emotion back to music. Lee, yeah. I think we need to get some MXU branded AirPods pro maxes and yeah. just blow out this Atmos okay. thing. That's fine.
2: <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Webster. Thanks for doing this. Uh, wrapping up. I have a question. So you said you can buy a piece of hardware to put in line with headphones a binaural encoder is that what you said
3: you wouldn't be able to put a piece of hardware in line with the headphones the hardware would most likely be in the device that you have already got it so uh if you have there are a lot of android devices uh mobile devices like tablets or phones that have uh a decoder built in they'll be listed as atmos enabled or i don't have any friends with green text yeah me
0: neither if you have a if you're green text
3: we're not friends (laughs) i'm with you too but uh if you have a uh, an ios device then technically speaking uh you can use any headphones it doesn't have to be airpods max or airpods pro okay the trick with it is that you'll have to go to your settings uh then go to music and then there's a little tab there that says dolby atmos if you click on that there's there's options that will say always on automatic and then off um If you choose, typically it's uh, by default it's on automatic. Automatic will automatically flip to Dolby Atmos when you're using uh, AirPods Pro, AirPods Maxes, but it won't do it with pretty much any other other ones. There might be some beats in there that it'll do it with, Um, and this is kind of it's kind of a good thing because then it's ensuring that it's not going to just start playing. A binaural render mix on on speakers on a a physical playback device because if you ever get the chance to uh experience that you'll wish you didn't um it is super weirdly phase wrapped and just it doesn't translate correctly um but you can turn it to always on so if you have a set of generic headphones you can plug it in and listen to it that way just remember to go to all to back to it later and put it back to automatic or Got off um, so you don't end up having a poor experience on other times okay. you know good to know
2: and then cool. second question I've, will you come back and do another one of these because I ha- I now have a whole other set of questions about are we going to walk into being able to mix our church broadcast mixes in this live and have oh. real time encoding for people listening on the other end of their mobile device
3: sure uh yeah we can definitely touch back on that it is uh that is a world that i've been looking into for the past uh three to six months and it's been kind of an interesting okay. journey uh also worship music in this format is insane okay Just, so that's definitely part two we have to do this again
0: more <laughs> angels you hear way more
3: angels
2: <laughs> that's true <It's
3: laughs> com- coming from above
2: it's, amen. Yeah. we'll be in nashville in August. Um, So can we come by and listen? Absolutely. Okay, cool.
3: Yeah, heck yeah, man.
2: Awesome. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Webster. It's great to see you.
3: Webster, the man. Hey, man. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I was able to make the time. Take care. Thanks. See ya.
1: All right. Well, that was awesome. I love hearing kind of what's new on the Wild Frontier. I think, you know, it's probably going to get to a point where it's more standardized, but, you know, I love the fact that some of this stuff that's experimental and super creative is actually making its way to where we can hear it you're
0: too optimistic i think the whole thing's gone to hell at this point i'm like okay well yeah especially yeah. like
2: what's going to happen when spotify does this and they also don't use dolby's algorithm and it's a yeah. different standard then, but yeah. if you got guys like serban and manny mariquin barking at apple oh, and yeah. spotify saying yeah you listen to blinding lights on spotify Dolby, and then go to Apple Dolby. It should sound the same. It should
0: not be different. It should be the same, right? Yeah, it's wild. Um, Webster is so smart. Uh, le- legit was having a hard time keeping up. Like it was, it was a lot of information at me at once. I'm slow. Well, and he's a
1: really good PA tech as well. Like he's one of the best yeah. system engineers I've ever ever been around. So I'm really excited to have him come back in the MXU now space and shoot some videos with us about pa tuning and
0: time alignment and smart and all that stuff because he's that's really awesome. good at it great guy yeah, that's great y'all it is uh it's almost 4 30 on a friday you know i've got places to the happy hours are be- have begun already Guys, i'm
2: going on a restaurant yeah. crawl tonight in sacramento with some buddies like like a food crawl yeah we're going to hit five different spots we're starting at around 2 30
0: all right okay y'all, y'all y'all wilding out out there we are
2: we're ending at a private cigar lounge at like 11 o'clock tonight
1: oh i think i can make it i think i can be there by then yeah i can be there by then well come on progressive dinner with the fields and company i love it all right well i love you boys hey yeah you too. You guys too we'll, uh we'll talk to you in a few days yeah everybody get your mxu tour tickets while they last Remember the buy four, get one free special for those of you who are in California and are thinking of joining us in LA. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be awesome until we see you next time. We'll see you. Take care. Bye boys. Bye.